Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm your guest bailiff, Jean Gray. This week, no show, contendere. Ted brings a case against his good friend, Chris. They will make plans, but Chris will suddenly become unreachable when it comes time to meet up. Ted's calls and texts go unanswered. Ted says Chris needs to step up and let him know when his plans have changed. Chris says the plans weren't firm, so he's not entirely in the wrong. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and issues the obscure cultural reference. He explained that he had been contracted to ghostwrite an autobiography for a famous wrestler, but the deal fell through. His agent had arranged for him to keep the advance money, however, so now he was a little richer and wanted a change of pace. She was more interested in why the wrestler he had been contracted to write for was called Mighty Pipes Cabrera. He wasn't just a wrestler, Vince said. He was also a tenor in the Louisville City Opera. That's fantastic, she said. Why did the book fall through? He was killed suddenly, Vince explained. In the ring. Guest bailiff Jean Grey, please swear them in. Ted and Chris, please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Good. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, even though he has been known to employ smoke bombs as a way of leaving a venue or restaurant unannounced? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Thank you, Judge Hodgman. You may proceed. All right, Chris and Ted, I'm going to get to you in a second, but I have to say welcome to my friend Jean Grey, who is uh, stepping in for re- reg bailiff Jesse Thorne, who is, is indisposed with uh, other business at the moment. Yes. Jean, uh, I spent all summer with guest bailiff, uh, summertime, fun time, guest bailiff Monty Belmonte. Now, uh, I, uh, but I don't know how your summer went. How did it go? Um, I, it went, it went pretty good. Uh, I got to move, uh, got a new backyard. Um, oh. so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I didn't know the backyard came with a pit bull. So just dealing with that. And, um, I guess summer's not over cause it's Wait still ridiculously Your backyard, hot. Your backyard a has a pit bull, a pit bull in it? Yes. Is it owned by a human or is it feral? Um, it's kind of it's it's owned, but they don't really uh, like sh- display any uh, actually case of ownership. So that's kind of a problem. Is it is it a sh- is it a shared backyard? Yes, it is. Oh, I see. Okay, I got mm. you. So technically, it's a shared pit bull, I guess. Yeah. No. It, it, apparently, I did not know that it mm. came with that. Have you released any recordings or books? I mean, you're always coming out with projects, and I'd like the world to know about them. So what what can we say about that before we move on to Ted and Chris? Still got um, uh, uh, two projects that were released this summer, both uh, I Sweater God and Sakes. And, um, so, so that's mm-hmm. I Sweater God. God. <laughs> yes. And that is uh, the letter I, mm-hmm. and then not sweater. swear to, sweater, like, mm-hmm. some, like a cardigan or a, or a jumper. Yes. And, and, and God, like uh, the mythical man in the sky. Yes. Of many different, of many of different m- uh, stories. And outfits. Indeed. And then uh, the Sakes is the other recorded project, and that's spelled S-A-I-X. Do I remember that correctly? All right. And all of these recordings can be uh, purchased at a reasonable fee, considering the talent behind them, at uh, what, jeangray.bandcamp.something? Tom, you're very good at this. 
<laughs> I probably could have figured out com. Though, <laughs> or honestly, it's pretty it's pretty well known that that's what you that's the most common. Uh, .co.ca. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, what's ZA? Is that South Africa? It is South Africa, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. No. Yeah, you know me, I love the obscure internet suffixes and I forget the regular normal ones. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're able to be here because it's always a joy having you. And uh, now, Ted and Chris. Yes. Yes. Uh, how were how your summers? Uh, pretty good so far, you know, typical. Who's that? Who's speaking now? Uh, this is, this is Chris. All right. Now we, we barely know each other, you guys. So you gotta I help, know. help me out here a little I bit. Just, it feels so familiar already. So I okay. feel like I've known you for a long time, Mr. <laughs> or I'm sorry, your honor. Uh, this is Ted speaking. Hi, 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 Ted. That was mm, creepy, but, uh, well, I, I understand. <laughs> well, look, he gets that way sometimes. Uh, for, uh my summer has been, has, yeah. has gone very well. Um, mm-hmm. it's been very warm up here in, uh, Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and we've been doing a lot of swimming and things like that. So no complaints. No, there are very usually no complaints from Portland, Oregon, from anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, it's rather uncouth to be seen complaining about Portland, Oregon. Yeah, exactly. Complacency is really where it's at these days. Yeah, that's the kicker. Complacency is where it's at. That <laughs> in, in Portland, Port- Oregon. Yeah, the Portland, Oregon ch- Chamber of Non-Commerce. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a t-shirt right there. So Ted and Chris, for an immediate summary judgment in one of yours favors, do you happen to remember, and can you name the piece of popular culture, well, let's say obscure culture, that I quoted from as I entered this virtual courtroom? Uh, let's see. Uh, Ted, you bring this case before me for justice. You go first. Guess. Uh... It didn't ring any bells, but for some reason the style make reminded a guess. me of Kurt Vonnegut. Okay. Kurt Vonnegut. I'll make it sounded like Kurt Vonnegut. I'll make a note in the record that that is your guess. <clears throat> Chris, without saying that it is yes or no on Kurt Vonnegut, can you, would you guess the same or different? I would I'm gonna guess. I'm going to suggest you guess different. Faulkner? Sure, why not? Just to be different. Horrible. <laughs> Because he's another writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And I, Ted's answer was really good, but I didn't want to just piggyback off of it. Ted, I, don't Ted, think, I don't think it was fun. Ted's like answer. It. Ted's answer was really good. It was uh, indeed, but all guesses are wrong. Oh. Of course they are. There's no way in the world that that was William Faulkner because it wasn't a whole bunch of run-on sentences from the point of view of a mentally challenged person. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. And Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> I take I take some very controversial positions here on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know what? William Faulkner, not that great. No, that's not <laughs> No, I was saying that was I was thinking that that's not the style of Faulkner. It's not, it is not the style. But it's obviously not Vonnegut either. Honestly, so. I looked at a book on my bookshelf and just read the first <laughs> Well, both of them are very, very uh, flattering comparisons because the author of those paragraphs uh, was a young John Hodgman oh, oh, yeah. from my very first uh, published short story in the Paris Review, you guys, mm. called Damn. In, the, in the issue number 141 from winter 1996. And the short story was called Ghosting. And that was the first thing I thought of when I read over the, uh, the, the brief on this case, 
which involves a different kind of ghosting. This was talking about ghostwriting, and uh, and it's about a guy who sublets an apartment in New York and inherits the main tenant's stalker. But mm. uh, but your story is about uh, leaving parties um, uh, without <laughs> saying anything, or or before they even begin without saying anything, which is also called ghosting. Uh, and so that's what I thought of. It was the first thing I thought of you guys because I am a narcissist and <laughs> usually think only of myself. Uh, the, having reread this story now, I am profoundly surprised that they published it. Very, <laughs> very thrilling at the time and even more implausible now that I look back on it. Um, but the, I thought it sounded can, very professional. Well, you know, it was uh, I. I spelled all the words correctly, and uh, it was professionally edited by um, by my hero George Plimpton. So that was a big thrill for me, and it allows me to say something else that is true in my life that I like, which is that I'm I'm probably one of the very few people who have been published both in the Paris Review and Mad Magazine. As of this <laughs> summer, I'm very happy. So enough bragging for me because it's it's not really a very good story, but I will say that there's a great, <laughs> great, great story in that particular issue, number one forty one. If you want to dig up the issue or just buy her collection of short stories that eventually uh, appeared in our friend of the show, Elizabeth Gilbert, this is how I got to know her. She published in the same issue a short story called The Famous Torn and Restored Lit Cigarette Trick, which is the greatest short story uh, of most times, I think, certainly from the Paris Review issue number 141 from... 1996. So there you have it. A little mm. ancient history lesson for you two guys and a chance for me to plug something that uh, I can't even sell anymore. <laughs> it's very appreciated. Um, in any case, uh, let's talk about ghosting. Ted, mm. yeah. you, have the, you have filed the complaint against Chris. You, you say that Chris is a ghoster. What does that mean to you and what's going on? I filed filed the case because Chris has had a tendency in the long amount of time that I've known him um, to once we've made plans the following day or maybe two days out, you know, not really long term. When it comes time to engage in said plans, um, I'll maybe try and contact him from by calling or on text message or another popular social media website. Um, and he'll just disappear. He goes off the radar and he won't be rediscovered. I feel like until a certain amount of time has passed that we'll both forget about it and we won't address it. And we'll just move onward with our, um, our friendship and, and any other events we might uh, engage in together. So it, it does not sound like a particularly sound foundation for a friendship where one person is discourteous to the other and the other person simply eats it and pushes it down inside and then no one ever mentions it again you pretend that it never happened it's a great foundation for a marriage but you guys aren't married you're friends so uh what would you have me order specifically it sounds like ted your complaint is that chris you and chris will make some plans and then you will attempt to follow up and chris just doesn't respond and then the thing either happens without him or doesn't happen at all is that right that's correct and the issue it poses is that if I depend on those plans, I don't make other plans. So working a regular job that is pretty much nine to five every weekday, sure. um, the weekends are valuable time. And if I'm depending on at two o'clock, I'm engaging in this activity with Chris, two o'clock rolls around or maybe even like noon rolls around, he disappears. I've forfeited that day for other plans with people. Give me a specific example of how you've been inconvenienced. 
So you're at your regular job rendering duck fat to put into French fries. <laughs> Whatever it is you do. I know, right? Yeah. What is your regular job? Uh, I'm an adolescent family therapist. Oh. What? Not as delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not as delicious. <laughs> okay. So give me an example of how uh, your, your life has been inconvenienced. A specific example, which is, of course, the soul of narrative. We ride motorcycles together regularly. Chris and I both own bikes and enjoy that. Oh, and now we, we're back in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, for, no, a second, yeah. for a second there, you sounded so respectable. We've zoomed your, back in. Yeah, all right. um, so, all right. And so when you ride them, they require a certain amount of work. So we'll regularly work on bikes together. And um, not too long ago, we had slated for about, I think, two o'clock in the afternoon. We'd meet at Chris's apartment to do some work on his bike and some work on mine as well. And so um, my, my girlfriend, who I also enjoy spending time with, um, equal to Chris, uh, had wanted to know what I was up to that day and if maybe I could go with her and her daughters to the museum or to just, you know, go to a park and spend time together. And I said, no, I can't do that. Um, I have to go do this at two o'clock with Christopher. So as I'm waiting for something later in the day, I'm missing out on plans that might take up much of the day. Gotcha. And then Christopher didn't show up for the motorcycle hang. Uh, he just never responded. And I feel, I feel bad about showing up at somebody's home. I don't want to be like an angry mother at a teenager's bedroom door. Um, with her motorcycle. Right with there. my motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. And so I just sent him a few messages and called, I think maybe once. And he was just off the radar for about two days until he popped up again. For two days, you heard nothing back. It could be two, it could be a month, you never know. All right, objection. A month, that's a little ridiculous. Overruled. Okay. Solved. (laughs) Uh, You know, I don't think I've ever ever overruled an objection. Yeah. I feel feel great about that. Yeah. It was exciting. Yeah. I I feel really powerful all of a sudden. I got a bump in my heart rate. So those are, that would be one example. And yeah, it's about, um, it's the time frame... Um, it differs depending on what, what the event is or what we have going on in our respective lives. So you would like me to, to order specifically that whatever, whatever the plan is, if you, if you text or call Chris to confirm it, that he reply in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Is that, is that, because re- I'm just looking at what, what the order is that I'm going to have to just, if he changes his mind and doesn't want to do it, just let me know. Just let me know. And that's, that's all. Um, all right. You know, I, I have no interest in guilting him though. I've probably done that in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if he's like, Hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I want to do something else. Great. Now I can, now I can make other plans and we both can have a fun Portland weekend. All right. Thank you. Now, Chris, we're going to get to hear your side of the story. Oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I'm just feeling so excited about overruling you that I have to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. Why is what Ted requests unreasonable? You know, it's, it's not unreasonable. Um, and I suppose like in the fairness of friendship and overruled. Uh, sorry. I'm just <laughs> so sorry. Nice. It was, was really good. I was I thought, really, I'm out of order. I apologize. I just, I, I was so excited about it. Um, so yeah, like I was saying, I don't think that his, 
recommendations or the judgment he wants rendered is unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have I done those things in the past? Yeah, I have done those things. Um, but well, why? I can, why are you doing these things? I don't know. It's uh, so like I've always kind of had like a little bit of uh, like social anxiety kind of uh-huh. like quips. I wouldn't call them issues or anything like that, but like they're your idiosyncrasies. Yeah, my idiosyncrasies basically, and mm-hmm. part of it is like so. Ted's right. Like there will be times where we'll make plans to do something. And then for whatever reason, say I'm out trying to get something done beforehand and it's not done beforehand and I can't get back in time. Or if last night took a really heavy toll on me and I'm just (laughs) not out of bed yet, like I won't respond. And in my head, it's easier to just not respond than to go through the process of verbally or textually letting somebody down and bumming them out. So I try to, I avoid those things. And I know that that's a silly response, but. No, no, it's not silly. I mean. I certainly can't argue that not doing something is easier than doing something. By <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I have some follow-up questions. First of all, uh, what is what is your age, and what is the age of Ted? So I am thirty-one, and Ted will be thirty in December. Yeah, and you guys. So are, he's twenty-nine right now. You guys are longtime pals. Yeah, so Ted and I first met in college. We both went to college together in Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, 2003, mm-hmm. 2004 is when, like, essentially when we first met and went to school together. Oh, so you're not, then, so you're not from Portland, Oregon. No, no, neither of us are from Portland. I'm actually from Alaska, and Ted's from Wisconsin. Yes. And then we just ended up at school together, or we ended up at the same school. And uh, where in after Alaska? College, where in Alaska okay. are you from, Chris? Uh, I'm from Eagle River, Alaska, which is just a, about you know a little bit north of Anchorage, about 13 miles. So you guys moved to to Port Portland, Oregon together. Um, sort of. I uh-huh. moved out here uh, with another friend at the time, and then Ted was kind of uh, just traveling around, like figuring out where he was going to be or what he was going to do. He was applying to some different schools, and he could probably talk better to this. But then he kind of just. I was yeah, living in my car, in... Your Honor. Yeah, okay. You were a hobo. So he and... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but but an adventurous one and good-natured. Yeah. So he unlike, traveled around for Unlike a most then... cowardly hobos. Uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Who, who no hiding to in the... the shadows for me. I'm right. drying off in the sun. <laughs> All right. Like... <laughs> so he eventually did end up in Portland probably like five months after I did. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and just, do you, you know... Do you have an occupation, Chris? I do have an occupation. <laughs> I, yes, I do. Um, I'm like I do sales and marketing account management for a mm-hmm. local outerwear company that's based here in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, okay. I won't say the name because I know you hate that. Uh, is it Pendleton? It is not. It's uh, much smaller. Oh, oh, interesting. All right. Is it just uh, Pendle? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you got it. That was it. No, it's not. <laughs> that feels like a weird marketing attempt to youthify their brand. It's not Pendleton anymore. It's just Pendle. Pendle it up, bros. Maybe onto something. All right. Well, we'll leave it to our listeners' imaginations okay. as to what it is you do all day. Because not only you do you honor this podcast by not mentioning the brand, but also mm-hmm. uh, you are in sales and marketing, and uh, you might as well be a sorcerer, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I don't know what, yeah, I, I feel know. the same way sometimes. I don't know what that's all about. Let's just say you're a couple of young dudes who like to ride motorcycles. So 
It yeah. is literally easier not to respond. But let me ask you, Ted accused you of not responding within days. Uh, is that is that true? Uh, yeah, I would say that's correct. But then he accused you of not responding within months. And that's a long time. And you objected. And you may recall, I overruled it. I do. Now I want to hear whether or not that's true. The month? No, I don't think that there's ever been a whole four week span that has gone by that I have not replied to Ted whatsoever. I would say that the most time that I let go by would maybe be four days. I mean, that's only because it's a plan made at the very tail end of a weekend and then you go into the work week and life's crazy, you know? You're trying to make your way in the I, world. I arrived at an empty apartment that I thought you lived at. And you were gone. What? You wait. were just gone. Okay, but that's well, different. Well, like, all right, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what happened, Ted? Excuse me, Chris. Ted? Well, Chris, and I, I, I don't want to uh, vet too much of Chris's personal life, but he was, he was dating a, a person and they had lived together. And um, when, when Chris is in relationships, sometimes he's very focused in him, which I admire. And... Um, other people may fall to the wayside, but so he had not been responsive for some time. And so I, I went against my better judgment and I became the teenage teenager's mother. I didn't want to be. And I, I, I did a pop in. I was going to stop by and just say, Chris, how have you been? It's, it's been a little while. And there was nobody at his apartment because he had moved <laughs> to a different apartment, not far away. Um, and he and his romantic partner had gotten new apartments there instead of living together, which I had no idea until I was leaving and saw his truck in front of a new apartment building and called him and said, what's up? Are you hanging out with a friend over here? And he said, no, man, I live here now. Um, much to my surprise. Yeah. All right. Did well. you, did you move without telling your friend Ted? <laughs> I think there are some discrepancies in that story. In that particular instance, I did move very suddenly, but there were outside factors and why the move had to happen so quickly that it just, it had to happen. Like yeah, within, it, was a rom- it was a romance yeah. gone wrong, right? <sighs> so wrong. Yeah, a romance um, gone wrong, so it Ted. Like, it just also, had to go. What a, what a great time to seek support from your closest of friends. Or not. Ted, 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 Ted. Chris doesn't need support. He's from Alaska. I know. I know. He is is culturally unused to relying upon or even seeing other humans. (laughs) Yeah. I ask him if he needs help whittling down his logs that he chews on for breakfast, and he'll never, never, never need help with that. Also, you are are young men. You are not... uh, a uh, 45-year-old uh, uh, family, bef- befamilied adults who are, who are sending out uh, moving cards. Right, exactly. Chris, I know that you are culturally unused to having the support <laughs> of another human being. How does it feel? <laughs> to, to be culturally unused to it or to now have it? To, to now have it. It's a little off-putting sometimes but i bet you don't want it you don't know the thing is it's much appreciated i'm always reluctant to uh ask for it but when it when it happens it it's it's nice doesn't mean i'm gonna rule in your favor i'm just saying i don't think that you would 
in any situation. So. I'm adding. I'm a, I'm adding. I'm trying to tease out what's you know. I'm 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 crux hunting right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm asking some cruxes. leading questions. Right. And I'm I'm hunting that crux. I'm always hunting that crux. Always. Find find that crux. That's right. Yeah. He, will. Chris. he will. Yeah. yeah. Chris. Yeah. Uh, how come you make plans or seem to be going along with plans and then just decide to pull the plug and not do it? Well, sometimes these plans are made in really uh, foggy, foggy states of mind late into the evening or early into the morning. And it's like, we should do this tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, let's like totally do it. And then the time comes and, you know, like I said, I'm either still recouping from the night before or I've tried to do other things and then my time management isn't the greatest. And then there are some times where, like, we'll make the plan or the plan will be made. And let's say, for example, Ted wants to meet to do something at 11. Because there have been cases where I've been like, okay, like, let's, we're still meeting there at 11. He's like, oh, I got to go do this and I got to go do this. So let's make it, like, 1.30 instead. And I'm just like, that wasn't the plan. I don't adhere to this plan anymore. The plan is null and void. And then I'm out of that plan. And But you don't even bother. Do you, do you say that in a, in a conversation or a text? Or you just, you're like... Move it to one thirty. Forget it. All, all, all the social contract has been broken, and and you are dead to me, and I will not respond. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> the flavor of it, Your yeah. Honor. As much as I don't want that to be the case, that is the thought that goes through my head. It's like you, right. someone has made a change to a plan. Therefore, I don't have to adhere to any of the contractual obligations, <laughs> communicative or otherwise. And then that's my wow. my scapegoat. Is it? Is it true as submitted in in Ted's uh, affidavit that you mm-hmm. jumped out of a moving vehicle to get out of a social situation? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, yes, there was. <laughs> All right. It's, so it's true. I, it is true. Um, so what happened there? So I didn't jump out of the truck to remove myself from a social situation. I jumped out of a, a moving truck to... Uh, circumnavigate danger was it another was it another romance gone wrong <laughs> it, it was headed that way and i uh-huh. was not ready to be a victim but i did end up in that situation because i ghosted out of a party without telling any of my friends that i was leaving and i was okay. probably in a state of mind where somebody should have been with me while i tried to make my way home uh and so i can tell ha- the whole did you, story did you okay. did you hitchhike and get picked up yeah. by a trucker yeah, so basically what happened is um, we went to school in a really small town in Colorado, up in the mountains. Like, it's kind of one of those schools that you go there because you want to take advantage of the outdoors while also getting a great education in the valley. Um, mm-hmm. So a small town, middle of winter. It's a, a house party that we're going to before everyone kind of goes home for Christmas break. At this time of the year, they put this big, giant Christmas tree right in the intersection of the two main roads, one going east-west, one going north-south. And they have this big tree lighting ceremony, and then we're off to this party. And I have had a problem with this ghosting thing my entire life. But I remember Ted and some of my other friends at the time were like, all right, Chris, like, sat me down and, like, almost, like, held my shoulders and was like, if you need to leave this party, just tell one of us, and one of us will leave with you. And I was like, no, nah, it's going to be fine. So I ended up, we're at the party, we're hanging out, um, I got, oh, I guess, a wave of social anxiety, and my first thought was not, okay, let's adhere to the plan and make sure that <laughs> I tell someone. It was like, 
you need to be away from this social situation right now. So I left and unfortunately I was very inebriated as mm-hmm. you would be at a college as one that Christmas might do, party. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got really turned around in town mm-hmm. and I ended up walking, I don't know, two miles the opposite direction of my house, which essentially put me at the edge of town. Um, all the while, I didn't have a jacket because we were at like an ugly sweater party and the party was close to where we were. So we just walked over in our sweaters. And then you got, tur- you got turned around at the Christmas tree. Right. I got turned around at the Christmas tree. And, and, I'll just take, on... and I'll just take this moment here to pause and speak directly to the children who listen to this podcast regularly. Hello. Hello, <laughs> children. I, I hope you are driving safely while you listen. Uh, uh, Obviously, this is a family-friendly podcast, but we talk about openly what adults do all the time, and uh, mm-hmm. and adults occasionally get intoxicated. And yes. I think the the moral of the story is, uh, don't go to college in Colorado, <laughs> or wear a jacket if you decide to go out to a party no, in the middle of December. I would, no offense, no offense to the fine universities of Colorado. <laughs> but, but a lot of partying goes on there and it's in an it's in an environment where if you make the wrong step you will die by falling off a cliff or freezing to death or being attacked Slipping by on an something elk. icy Slip, yeah exactly getting right. picked up by a hobo negative three thousand that's a very fair point actually uh, but uh, I look forward to the letters from the University of Colorado at Boulder I'm sure that they are printed on hemp paper now uh, so what happens next is you get picked up by a trucker. I want to get to the trucker. I'm, I'm glad right, you so, filled in all the details. But uh. So what happened is I was so far from where I lived at that time that I was like, I'm just going to like get on this main drag that goes through town and someone will pick me up and I'll get dropped off and then I'll go home. Because I knew at that point that I was where I was. So, of course, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. No one's driving through town. Um, but a big like kind of shipping highway runs through you know, this college town. So this truck, semi truck comes through and I throw my thumb out and he pulls over and he picks me up and he asks me where I, where I'm going. And I tell him that there's a McDonald's like right at the edge of town. Just drop me off there. My apartment is behind that McDonald's. I can get home from there. And to my recollection, he looks over at me. He's like, okay, no problem. (laughs) So we're driving, so we're driving. And then I see this McDonald's go past me on the, on the left hand side. And I'm like, okay, like, that's kind of weird. Like, maybe there's two McDonald's in this town that I've been going to college in for quite a while. Maybe I'm just, like, not in the right state of mind to know what's going on. And then we kept going farther and farther out of town. I noticed that the, the town, the, the lights of the city are fading away. There's no more, like, street lights. I know we're pretty much headed, you know, east towards Denver. And I start to, like, kind of get anxious, and I ask him, I'm like, hey, man, I need to be dropped off at that McDonald's. And again, to my recollection, he says, yeah, I know, and it just keeps driving. <laughs> and then panic set in. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is one of those situations that you read about in newspapers sure. or you see on Lifetime movies. Yeah. Like, I'm in one of those situations. And so I'm going through all these scenarios of like how I'm going to, like, what I'm going to do if something weird happens. And right when I'm going through the scenarios, this car pulls out from kind of like an auxiliary road sure. and kind of cuts him and cuts him off to get in front of him. And so he slows down. And again, my next thought without even giving it, you know, review was, all right, we're at 20 miles an hour. Just jump out of the truck. <laughs> this is, you know, yeah, this is, you know, you don't want to be a victim. You want to just get out of this truck. 
So I, <laughs> I open the door, I yell, thanks for the ride, and then I jumped out of the truck into a snowbank, and then I rolled up a couple times, and I got up, and I just started sprinting uh, back towards town. And along my sprint, these three girls coming the opposite direction picked me up and drove me back to my apartment. And then Ted Bundy arrived. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, three... Th- uh, I... Yeah. I I just um yeah, if, if Jean, you don't uh, mind. Guest bail of Jean. I'm 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 feeling a, I I'd love a moment to collect my thoughts. So give me <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I um I I just want to ask Chris if maybe he um hadn't ever at this point uh seen a movie or read a book um of any kind uh to let him know that uh Getting hitchhiking into a semi was probably a bad situation at any point, um, especially in a horror movie setting such as Colorado with an ugly sweater. <laughs> it just sort of had all the makings of uh, a, a story gone wrong. And then after uh, rolling down a snowbank, uh, immediately got into another car of strangers. <laughs> Yeah, but that so. was Charlie's Angels. That was three girls. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's the car you wait for. I mean, if I've, in, I've seen in... The Warriors. <laughs> that's true. Oh, That's movie. true. The Lizzie's in The Warriors mm-hmm. lead the Warriors astray. If people have not and seen it was the... so cold, though. If people have not seen The Warriors, that's, uh, that's that great documentary film about gang <laughs> rivalries <laughs> in New York City where, <laughs> where every, every gang in New York City was seemed to be geographically randomly assigned to a neighborhood yes that had nothing to do with the people who lived there so for example the <laughs> the toughest gang which the was these well no i was saying the toughest gang so first of all you had the warriors which is your mm-hmm. fairly your fairly typical multiracial gang in Coney Island because that's what gangs are known for right people from all yeah. different walks of life coming together you have yes. black people, Hispanic people, white dudes. That's usually how gangs form in urban, gritty urban settings, right? And 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 also with feathers and leather vests. So yeah, right. a must have. And then you had your gangs that that did cosplay as baseball players or mimes, which was mm-hmm. really terrifying in 1979. Yeah. And then you had then the toughest gang in New York were uh, the black karate dudes, the Gramercy mm-hmm. Riffs, because. Gramercy Riffs. They they apparently uh, their turf was Gramercy Park, one of the one of the wealthiest Very enclaves dangerous. in New York City. Very dangerous. It's how they could afford their robes. But then, as the Warriors were trying to go home, they fell in with the with the Lizzies, which is an all female gang, and they betrayed them. This is all. It's all. Uh, it's all a, a parable of uh, the uh, what is it? Homer's uh, the Odyssey. Yes. Did you know that it's an allegory? Are Ted and Chris I did not here? make that connection. Yeah, well, yeah. at the time, yeah, well, they're the sirens, right? The clearly not. The sirens or yeah, they're the sirens. No. Exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe you should have in college. You should have spent a little less time going to crazy sweater parties and a little more time sitting by yourself in a dark room watching movies from the seventies. Like I, I got my education at Yale University. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess my biggest fault was uh, believing in the kindness of humanity. But it's well, all of ours. Well, you know, Hitchhike, no Hitch, here's the thing about that story is that, and, and here again, I'd like to speak to the children <laughs> who are listening to this podcast while driving down the American road. First of all, good for you, children, for getting your driver's license at the age of nine and for not hitchhiking. It can be very dangerous. 
And it's one of those things where uh, it goes okay, I think, most of the time. But when it goes wrong, it goes real wrong. Very wrong. And the truth is that you were in a situation where it was going wrong. I mean, there was no other explanation for why that guy wasn't dropping you off where you needed to go. You were being kidnapped and you did what you had to do. Right. And there was a good 60 miles between the town that I go to, that I was going to school in and, you know, the next like yeah. actual town. You know, you know so. how uh, specificity is the soul of narrative? Yeah. Maybe there's a little bit too much specificity going on. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to. I don't need to know the, how many miles there were. I mean, you were, I'm just it saying. Didn't it didn't matter. It, it could have been 75 degrees Fahrenheit with a clear sky and only seven, uh, 58 miles between the two towns. The point is, you got into the cab of a of a trucker who was not taking you where <laughs> you wanted to go, and he and it was clear that he was making a different decision that could not. He, couldn't, he did not have your best intentions in mind. Well, that's a terrifying and, uh, and uh, cautionary and, I think for all of us, sobering tale right. about the dangers of, of, uh, of hitchhiking. Um, uh, I hitchhiked to first grade once, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> it it went, that was one that went right, you may have noticed, <laughs> but it could have gone really wrong because uh, I missed the school bus in Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, in any case, um, it all goes back to you leaving this party because you felt like you just had to get out of there. Right. And you had already, your friends had already talked to you like, don't do what you're, don't do it. Don't leave here without letting us know. And you did it. So you've mentioned, you've mentioned social anxiety a couple of times. And I want to get a sense of, is this like, is this just a, a phrase that you're using or do you have real panic attacks, shallow breath? Uh, 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 raised heartbeat. Try to separate this from no. your intoxication. So there have been some situations where I'll get like you know really anxious and get like a raised heartbeat and my pulse starts racing and I always think that at that time I'm having a heart attack. But it's happened very rarely. Like most situations, just it's mainly just like I don't want to be here. I don't want to have to like bo- like everyone else is having a good time. Like me being like, all right, everyone now stop having a good time and pay attention to me while I say that I'm leaving. And then you berate me with questions of why I'm leaving. I'm just not interested in that. And then thinking about having that conversation just makes me want to just leave without saying anything. But you're not having panic attacks no. when you realize you have to go eat some eggs with your friends that morning. No. Ted, I have a, I have a question for you. What part of Wisconsin are you from? Uh, right in the middle, a place called Stevens Point. Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I bet it's lovely. Chris, are you gonna? Yeah. Are you, are you and Ted and your respective special friends? If you have, <laughs> if you're going with anyone at the time, are you gonna come? Are you gonna come see my show in Portland, Oregon, on October fifteenth? Uh, yeah, we're actually really very excited. Excited to go see that show. Are you really gonna show up? Yeah, I've already got my tickets. I don't have mine yet, but I'm going to get them. My my lovely and dear girlfriend purchased them for her and I. Thank you very much. Chris isn't invited. He may he may bail. Thank, <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, girlfriend. It'll be interesting to see if you show up. And I will and I will make a point of of scanning the audience for you. Oh god. All right. I'll Ted, that voice. <laughs> yes. Chris knows when he's not responding to you or when he's leaving the house. 
what is in his mind and what is going on in his world. But when he blows you off this way, how does it make you feel? I mean, first off, I'm disappointed and let down, but ultimately it it feels like you're on the working end of a friendship where the other person doesn't necessarily care if you feel good about the interactions you have with them or bad, which is ultimately a bad feeling. Like, I like to plan stuff with people and... Um, I'll pump the brakes. If somebody else is the one to do stuff, it's like, great, that's fine. You know, I understand a maximum of the show is you like what you like, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. So if somebody makes plans and they change their mind, I just need to just let me know because you letting me know is a result of your understanding that it sucks to have your plans messed up and it Mm -hmm. sucks to be inconvenienced. That's all I want to be owed is just, hey, I don't want to mess up your day, so I will do this this little task of saying, I'm out, not going to do it, just when you know you're not going to do it, so that I can enjoy my day. Because if a friend won't do that, it feels pretty bad, because I know like strangers or coworkers that will do that. How do you feel about that, Chris? Uh, I mean, it, I feel really bad like hearing that, honestly. It makes me feel like a really horrible friend. Um, I don't want, you know, I don't want Ted to feel like he's the only one putting effort into a friendship and that I'm, you know, breaking his heart every time I ghost on him. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't feel good about it. And Um, I know it's not done of malice. It's it's who Chris is and I love who Chris is. He's a dear friend to me and has been for a long time and will continue to be for many more years. Um, but he, I mean, come on, you got to knock it off. If you don't mind, can I ask a couple of mm. questions of uh, Ted and Chris? Just short questions. Sure. Um, Ted, about mm. how many times would you say that uh, this had happened, the ghosting had happened with Chris uh, before it started to really bother you? And then maybe over the years, like, is it say 20 times or 350 times? I mean, if I have a car whose engine makes a weird noise, I still love the car. And I, I, I accept that the noise is part of my car now. And so I don't hate the car or I'm not bothered by the car. I just say, I understand this is the, how I need to navigate this automobile. It'll be clunky sometimes. But over, over the 10 years, give or take one or two, we've been friends. I mean, we're probably at 80 to 100 ish. Over 10 years. Over this, so average in 10 a year, maybe. Uh, break it down to like, like 1.5 a month. But it's like hellish. <laughs> because you, you want to feel like they care. And, and, and Chris, about um, how many times that you'd say you in your, uh, I'm going to think my answer and then not type it out or, or not phone it out, do you actually uh, feel like, hey, maybe I'm doing something wrong? Is it, is it only when, uh, I guess, Ted responds with his uh, sadness and disdain, or do you immediately feel it but then still don't follow through? Um, no, like, I don't feel it immediately because sometimes he'll be like, hey, what's up? What's the plan? And then that's it. He doesn't say anything else, and he'll, like, go do something else. But then there are times where, like, He'll message me a few more times, and then I know that it's he's really, like, trying to figure it out when he just types my name in all caps and adds, like, 10 S's to it and exclamation points. Because <laughs> then I'm like, 
and then I feel really bad not answering then. But then I usually do answer when it gets to that point. A day later. And 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 one more short question for uh for Chris. Um in your lady relationships, has this been a big right. deal as well? Um no, it hasn't. It's actually probably the complete opposite. Mm. Mm. To add a little dynamic to the mess. Mm-hmm. I know where I stand now. Hey, uh, are you guys still talking out here? Because yeah. I, yes. I, le- I left 10 minutes ago. I've been in my chambers. I just didn't say goodbye. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just didn't feel like dealing with you anymore. So I joined in my chambers. But, I feel uh, away. I feel well, away. You're making, you're, making, you're making a lot of noise. And, uh, and so <laughs> could you just quiet down a little bit? Because I'm coming... I'm coming to my decision now. I'm going to go back in my chambers and I'm going to make my decision and I'll be back in a moment. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. All right. Uh, I've gotten the answers to my questions as well. And uh, we will be right back. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join, and you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit. Every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made. Step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you, it's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, 
and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. One of the things I enjoyed most hearing through the very thin walls of my virtual chambers was Ted making an analogy to his friend Chris as a car that makes a funny noise. <laughs> when you have a car that makes a funny noise, you get used to it and you, and you learn to deal with it, which is true if the funny noise uh, is a clinking or a clanking and you maybe are a young person in your life and you don't know how to fix a car yourself and maybe you don't want to go through all the trouble of having it uh, looked at by a professional and the expense of the repair that it might involve. But sometimes the car is on fire. <laughs> and, and that's not something you just get used to. And there's a little bit of Chris that's a car on fire. Uh, <laughs> part of this... You know, you know how I'm always looking for that crux, and I do think that there is a there is a uh, an element of crux in that. Uh, Ted, you are from the the Midwest, uh, where people are kind to each other and look out for each other and are considerate of each other, even to their own self abnegation, to a fault. Yeah, and Chris is from the the true wilderness. Chris, you know, you referred to yourself as, yeah, I'm kind of a hobo. You're not a hobo, Ted. You're from central Wisconsin. You're no hobo. Chris flagged down a semi. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the hobos of the Great Depression lit out to, to ride the rails out of poverty, out of wanderlust, out of mental illness, and out of pers- personality aberration, they were a, a desperate crew of of seekers, and they were not necessarily happy. Uh, and nor were, nor were they singing railroad songs all the time. What they were singing, what they were singing, was songs like Big Rock Candy Mountain, in order to lure young people to go with them on the hobo trail and to be their servants. And Chris, he's a hobo. He has a profound independent streak such that uh, if he doesn't feel like writing you back, he's not going to write you back. I bet, I bet confirming plans isn't something that happens a lot in, what is it, Eagle's Beak, Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> Eagle River, Alaska. I am going to start a petition to rename it Eagle Beak. <laughs> Eagle's Beak. I would sign that. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Alaska, Alaska is a place, uh, as far as I know from my friend, the Alaskan John Roderick, who, if he is listening to this podcast, I'm sure has lots to say on this subject and is probably saying it out loud even as he listens. Uh, but Alaska is a place where, uh, where people don't, don't see each other a whole lot. Is that right, Chris? Uh, 
Yes and no. I mean, you see right. people like when you you see everyone at school and when you go to work, but like, yeah, there's a there's a certain like uh, expectation of aloneness and privacy. I would say, yeah, at least in my experience growing up there, you see it, you see them when you see them. You know what I mean? And if you don't see yeah. them, you don't see yeah. them. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't see them, it it may mean it may mean that they don't. Uh, uh, they've got something else going on or maybe they had to leave their apartment real fast because of a romantic misadventure or maybe uh, <laughs> just like in Alaska maybe they've just wandered out into the cold to die <laughs> and, and I think that I think that that's, that's a little bit to, to my ears a little bit of the imbalance that's going on here and, and I think that Chris you like your friend right? Yeah I love Ted he's my best friend he's one of my best friends yeah and Ted the, the fact is that as a Midwesterner, it's hard for you to, to contemplate that someone can feel love for you and yet be so, so completely inconsiderate of your time and feelings because that's not where you come from. And the truth is that Chris wouldn't care if, he, if you were as inconsiderate to him as, as he is routinely to you 10 times a year. You I know, would when, never do that. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. I mean, but but the thing is, it wouldn't bother Chris if you did. And this is always an infuriating thing between friends uh, 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 when when what they they just come from different worldviews. And it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't call you. I don't ever expect you to call me. Like, yeah, <laughs> why are you mad? Why are you mad at me for going off the grid for five days? I wouldn't care if you died. <laughs> like, it's a really, it's a, it's a, it, it's just that, to that degree. It's it's a it's a car that's making a funny noise, and it is indeed just your job to to tolerate it, right? Because all friends are cars making their own weird funny noises. But to the degree that uh, that this car is on fire, uh, Chris, you're not in Alaska. Right? You're in you're in the you're in the lower portion of the country. And and there and it is reasonable to adjust culturally somewhat, but it is also concerning to me. I mean, obviously this is a story from college, but you're not that far out of college, and you've spoken a little bit of this compulsion to leave the party, uh, even even when you you had made arrangements or had promised to your friends that you wouldn't do that, that you had just couldn't not do it. Um, and, uh, and when you couple that, and you also spoke of actual panic attacks. So, you know, social anxiety disorder, as I have learned this afternoon from WebMD is, uh, you know, one, one of its only symptoms is that when contemplating or social, uh, events or in the midst of social events, that a person would have a physical reaction that is consistent with a panic attack, uh, shortness of breath, uh, uh, physical symptoms. So when I asked you, do you ever have panic attacks? Uh, you said, yes, I have had panic attacks. But in your mind, you're like, oh, only two or three. Like, that's that's something that's going on in your life. Like, that you ha- that you can think of two or three that come to mind means, yes, you're having you're having them. And second of all, when uh, when you agree, when Ted says, oh, he's only disappeared in this way maybe 10 times a year. And you're like, huh, that's not bad. Oh, no, no, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? That's bad. And the reason that it's okay. and, the, and the reason that it's bad isn't isn't that uh, you aren't entitled to your own privacy. 
And, and if you are, you might want to talk to someone about if you're really feeling social anxiety and, 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 and maybe I'm overstating it, but you know, you might want to talk to a professional. Maybe if you know, if you happen to know a, a, a family and child therapist in your life. Isn't that what you do, Ted? What is it you do? I am, I am that professional. <laughs> I, I work with anxiety disorders all the time. And, and, and I don't think Chris, Chris, Chris's big crux, in my own opinion, and I know that it's not out there with the true crux finder, but it's just anxiety is most often easily dealt with with avoidance. If, if it's uncomfortable and we dodge it, and it doesn't get more uncomfortable, we'll probably repeat it. So I, I see the, the utility of a behavior that gets you off the hook. Um, it's just tough for the other people who, who are involved, I think. Like, I, I get that if you don't want to do it, it feels better not to. Um, but it feels bad to be taken for granted. All right. And but that's Ted, a tough thing. Ted, Yo. I, I appreciate Yo. your feelings, but I don't care about them. The thing is, the the the, 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 the thing the thing is that uh, I am I am sad that you your feelings are hurt, and I think Chris is too, and that may modify his behavior naturally, right? But also, the two things I will say that mandate not just action on Chris's part, but my my ruling, which will become clear in a moment is one, if you are potentially acting out of anxiety, uh, sparked avoidance, or are feeling compelled to do things that you already have agreed not to do, uh, you should examine that in your life and see if it needs a little bit more attention, whether or not you go to Ted as your therapist. I think that would be a terrible idea. Ted is totally totally wrapped up in his own feelings. And, uh, right. Amen. (laughs) Finally, somebody gets me. You need, you need, you need someone, you need someone who, who doesn't, who, who doesn't care about you the way you don't care about Ted. And then the other, (laughs) the other thing, the other, the other thing is that, um, uh, it's, it's okay if you hurt Ted's feelings. Ted will get over it and learn and grow. But you can't disappear for days on end and not expect your friends to worry about whether you're alive or dead. That's just, <laughs> that's the social contract right there. I know it's okay. different in Alaska. No one cares whether you live or die there. But down here, you have to let people know you're alive, right? Especially if you have a history of jumping into trucks. You know what I mean? Like, so what I say and this is going to be my order. I do find in Ted's favor, but in order to maintain your your cultural legacy of independence and uh, uh, and not caring, I would say that when Ted asks you to confirm a plan or simply wishes to know that you are alive, you do not need to reply to him with words. You must choose a single emoji. That will just be a ping back, letting him know that he that he is not texting, he is not texting your grave, but you're just you're just on planet Chris right now, and you're not gonna you're not gonna get back to him in any other way. I don't know what that emoji is gonna be. That there's gonna be creativity there. What do you think it's gonna be, Chris? Devil mask. I would. My favorite emoji on my phone is rocket ship. So. Pile of poo? 
Powerpoo. Let's do Powerpoo. All right. Yeah. Okay. Save rocket ship for uh, for uh, another code of your choosing. I like a Pilot fun poo. one. Yeah. Powerpoo. All right. <laughs> whenever, oh. whenever you're, whenever you're. <laughs> Whenever your friend Ted wishes to connect with you at a time when you're feeling like you don't want to be connected to, whenever your friend Ted reaches out to you at that time, you can just send him back a friendly pile of poo, and I think he'll get the message. This is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Ted, how do you feel about the judge's decision? I, 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 I agree I think that he did the right thing in, in siding with me as the plaintiff. Um, I just think that Chris will use this, quote, little stinker emoji <laughs> to avoid so much social <laughs> pressure. He's got, he's got an exit strategy now, and that could be tough, but I respect the decision of the court. Well, I, I think it's a it's a better exit strategy than a semi truck. Uh, Chris, how I do, do you? How, yeah, Chris, how do you feel about the judges? <laughs> I, I, I concur. Uh, I think it's a fair decision. Um, I think I could stand to be a little bit more responsive and considerate of my friend's feelings when it comes to my, you know, non responsiveness or even personal safety. So mm-hmm. I'll make <laughs> I'll make the effort. Well, I'm, I'm happy for both of you. Uh, and thank you both for being on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Thanks to Luke Seaman for suggesting this week's case name. To suggest a name for a future case, like us on Facebook. We regularly put out a call for submissions. If you have a case for the judge, submit it at www.maximumfun.org slash JJHO. I've been your guest bailiff, Jean Gray. Julia Smith produces the show. Mark McConville is our editor. Thanks for joining us for the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Overruled. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.